Welcome to episode number 38 of the Jackson Hole Connection, brought to you by Jackson Hole Marketplace, the friendly neighborhood market on the south side of Jackson Hole. Be sure to visit Jackson Hole Marketplace in person or online at the jacksonholeconnection.com slash jhm for weekday lunch specials or creative ideas about Jackson Hole. My name's Stephan Abrams, your host of the Jackson Hole Connection. I'm so excited and thrilled to have today's guest, Jennifer Tennekin of Gen 10 Productions. Today, Jen will talk to us about her newest documentary called Hearts of Glass, which is premiering here in Jackson Hole at the Center for the Arts on June 1st. Jen's going to share with us a little bit about the road that she's traveled to become a documentary filmmaker, the importance of the messages that she's trying to convey in her documentaries. I learned so much during this interview. So please welcome Jennifer Tennekin of Gen 10 Productions. How did you land here in Jackson Hole? I landed here following my husband's daughter and her family. She had just had a baby, uh, Miles, and uh, we were visiting. And uh, my husband had been out a couple of times before to climb the Grand. My husband's a rock climber. That's how we bonded over rock climbing. I had never seen the place before. And like so many others, immediately fell in love with it and thought, oh, well, we have a new grandchild and um, maybe we should figure out a way to stay here. So we we started looking for, uh, you know, a little home and then ended up with land and ended up building. And my step-grandson now is 17 years old and uh, they're back in the Bay Area. Their lives changed significantly. So uh, I think there's a life lesson here. Never move to be near your children <laughs> or your stepchildren or your step-grandchildren, um, but it's it's all worked out. They, they do come back uh, quite a bit to visit. They have strong ties to the Valley. Cool. And how many years is that been now? Well, uh, Miles was one. Well, I mean, he was not even one when we visited. So I guess we've been here more or less 15 or 16 years. Mm -hmm. I think we moved officially in 2002. Cool. Yeah. From And we were in the Boston area before that. Awesome. Yeah. And you are the brainchild of Gen 10 Productions. Or or perhaps Gen 10 is the brainchild of Jennifer Tennekin. I'm not <laughs> sure. Yes. It's a great name for a company. I, I do say so myself. My, it's an amazing, one of one of the amazing reasons that I married my husband was for his last name. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I've, uh, I've been a documentary uh, filmmaker since the late 90s. And I started in the Boston area. I was a, a, a late, a later in life career shift to filmmaking. Um, I had spent, let's see, I was an English major in college, and I think my concentration was in romantic poetry. I, I demand for so he, romantic he, yeah, poetry major. Here's the thing: I think English majors can go into any. You know, writing skills are important. Clear communication skills are important. So, yeah, the romantic part. I don't know. That's just me. Um, so I worked as a headhunter for a scientific and technical search firm. Uh, when I first came out of school, we were staffing uh, research and development labs in Boston. Then I was a commercial real estate appraiser for six or seven years, again, in Boston and working towards my professional designation and um, met my future husband and um, ended up 
getting engaged and he had an opportunity to work for six months of consulting in Spain. So we ended up moving to Madrid for six months and it turned into two years. And that I know that sounds horrible. You're like, oh, poor Jen. She had to spend two years in Madrid. Well, it was poor Jen in that I only studied French in school. And I was like, what a waste. <laughs> I had to learn French. I mean, Spanish was so much easier than French. And uh, French, uh, my husband likes to point out, and I'm sorry if you're a Francophone out there, but it's a dying language is what he likes to say. There are far too many accents, far too many letters you don't pronounce. Spanish is easier. So anyway, uh, when I came back to the States after living in Spain, I sort of dedicated myself to documentary filmmaking, and I interned with uh, guys that did a lot of work for WGBH in Boston. So that's the big public television station where shows like Nova come out of, and I worked on Nova shows, and sort of simultaneously I was working on my first documentary that took, oh, I don't know, six or seven years to get done, but it was on a Boston area rock climber who took about that amount of time, seven years, to free an aid route uh, on Cannon Cliff in New Hampshire. So I, I predated the climbing is cool for major motion pictures. Free solo, you wouldn't have won without... No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Why documentary film? Yeah, why documentary? Well, so I'd always loved film and visual storytelling. My parents, you know, they were the kind of parents who would wake me up when I was eight years old to watch a film they really thought I needed to watch. Mm -hmm. So I kind of grew up in it, probably more narrative than documentary. Um, but documentary has this amazingly low bar of entry um, in that you don't have to pay actors. You don't have to find actors, let alone pay them. You don't need costumes sets, any of that infrastructure that I think really creates larger budget demands. So it seems like a very approachable form of visual storytelling to me. And so since you've been in Jackson, you have Gen 10 Productions. Is there a, a theme as far as what genre that you're you're creating and going after? Broad genre documentary, but um, I think there are a couple of themes that recur and I think community as stand-in for family is, is a big theme in my work whether it was the film on the stagecoach or the film about Burt Raines you know really where community steps in and also I, I think that the maybe the beautiful thing about living in a small town is you realize you don't need to, and this is the same thing probably with your family, right? You don't need to agree with everyone and you don't need to love everything about everyone, but you need to know how to get along. And I think that, and you need to care about people in a way that is, um, I think that strengthens the community. So I would say that, you know, the three films that I've done so far, so the, the one about the bar, the one about Burt Raines, and now this one about um, a very innovative vertical greenhouse here in Jackson that also has a social mission of uh, meaningful and competitively paid jobs for community members with disabilities. I would say the, the thematic through line is, is community and what community can really do. And give everybody the title of this newest documentary when that's being released. So the new one is called Hearts of Glass. It's a feature-length documentary. 
It's about 68 minutes, and uh, we completed it in late summer of 2018 and have been doing our festival run and presenting at conferences. And so uh, we've been doing more traveling with this film than, uh, than I did with the other two combined. I think for a couple of different reasons, it's it's very timely and it ha- it covers a lot of really important topics. So it has social entrepreneurship, it has uh, sustainability and local food production, it has disability advocacy and community inclusion. I mean, these are all things if you think about, you know, 10 years ago, were there any academic departments at schools in social entrepreneurship? Probably not. Sustainability, no. Um, Disability studies, no. So, I mean, these are recent and um, I think inter interdisciplinary topics that are that are interesting to people. Hopefully, not only in college and university settings, but in in the world in general. And for your film, you mentioned that you have put more time being on the road to promote it than your previous two films for for the Hearts of Glass. What does it take to spread the word of a documentary and if you've been putting it in film festivals how is that not already released versus what you're doing june 1st so so june 1st just to be clear is hearts of glass jackson premiere got it so it's our our homecoming for our local crowd Uh but we did actually have our world premiere at the end of january at the wild and scenic film festival in northern california we we felt our local community would forgive us for uh having a world premiere somewhere else um so hopefully they will and they'll show up uh but yeah, I mean, for us, uh, part of the the fun of the festivals is that we're presenting as an inclusive group that for all of the festivals that we've attended, it's been a mix of, you know, me as the filmmaker, but also probably someone from Vertical Harvest and um, an employee self-advocate who's also there as part of the um, the group. And we're all doing Q&As together and we're all doing, we've done a few podcasts on location, you know, just the interaction that goes on at a, at a film festival. I mean, no, film festivals are a challenge in that, you know, I think it's great to get the recognition and to meet other filmmakers working passionately and and doing their their thing and it's a great opportunity to see other people's work but they are basically money out and if you're you're also trying to be entrepreneurial about your career as a filmmaker you have to weigh those things so we we tend to set up a lot of meetings with potential collaborators and partners when we go to these festivals because we want we want the outreach and engagement campaign around the film and this is really the first film where i've had a outreach and engagement campaign you know there we have the potential of raising awareness about the capabilities of community members with disabilities um, to work, that they want to work, they can work, uh, that employers uh, should know about this workforce, that we can hopefully, you know, as part of our outreach and engagement, provide resources to both job seekers and employers to to deal with that. Um, I think we're also focused on, you know, big picture stuff for me is, you know, the film is about this business that is really rooted in outside the box thinking. Right, it's a public-private partnership. It's a social venture, um, meaning that it has investors, but they are willing to put the social mission before the return on investment. Although a return on investment is eventually anticipated, and so that whole idea of patient capital, I think, is very important. I mean, B corps have become 
more prevalent. Sort of investing in in social causes, I think, is is an exciting way to move the world forward. And I don't know how other people feel, but <laughs> I think the world needs to move forward a little bit. It's it's a good time to do that. And we often get thanked by audiences who see the film um, that we've provided and an unvarnished, but an uplifting story. I had on an earlier episode as a guest, Nona. Mm-hmm. She was one of the guests. And she's so inspirational of her passion and story and um, background behind the reason why she is involved so heartedly. Yeah. So, I mean, Nona is one of the co-founders of Vertical Harvest and Hearts of Glass is about the first 15 months of Vertical Harvest sort of life as a startup. And uh, yeah, I mean, Nona is a very charismatic person and you know I all of the co-founders involved in in bringing vertical harvest to fruition the amount of work that went into it was incredible I mean before we even start our story there's been eight years of legwork that was put into it and so you know there's a certain amount of risk that goes into this and I think um, you know you can you can think it out and you can do you know they did feasibility analyses they they did all of the due diligence that they were supposed to do but then when it's really rubber meets the road boots on the ground people in the greenhouse growing I mean then it's that's when the excitement that's when the story began for me I'm sure there could be a whole nother film about the genesis of the business but we like the idea of you know when it launched and when people were really involved in the greenhouse so that's when we jumped in so tell me how does your storyline develop your idea and storyline develop and because your first movie was about the stagecoach bar very historical location Mm -hmm. here in the community and then film number two is about an actual individual picking out that one individual in this community Mm -hmm. who has had enormous impact and influence in who we are today and still does and and both bring together these really disparate communities, right? Yeah. I mean, Burt Reigns is essentially the stagecoach bar of conservation. <laughs> <laughs> he is the icon of conservation. Yeah. And um, I had the opportunity to talk to him recently and phenomenal, phenomenal man. Mm-hmm. With, and, and I wish I knew him when he was younger mm-hmm. in his sharper, wittier <laughs> days because mm-hmm. he's still very witty. Um, but of course everybody's mind declines a little bit as they get older so yeah h- how did your storyline progress into deciding these different topics to to make a, a documentary about well you know the stagecoach and the film about burt rain's far afield um they were retrospective so it is a different approach you can do the research you can write the story you can pick out who you'd like to interview it's less stressful in some ways i think because um, the story's all there you just need to find the elements you want to put it together whereas with hearts of glass this was really the first time we'd been filming and creating a story as it was unfolding and um, I have to say, I'm not ready for that again anytime soon. <laughs> so, you know, you were probably in their position during that eight-year path. Well, when they were creating it. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I could. Uh, the amount of stress. I mean, 
Yeah. Theirs is different. Theirs is different but for it's sure. Still a road. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I think the um, the not knowing exactly. I'm a very. I love to make lists. I love to check things off. I love to be very ordered. And and this this process does not really lend itself to do. There's a lot of onus on us to do the the research, even if. It was more in real time, but we needed to know, you know, what were the things coming up that that might be dramatic moments, like the first time the tomato plants arrive or things like that. So like staying on top of all of those logistical and timing uh, issues around filming, you know, I think we always had the idea that we wanted to weave the story of the the business along with the story of various characters and their trajectories, kind of a people and plants dual storyline where they were interwoven. So um, trying to figure out which characters were the ones to spend the most time covering, that was, that was difficult. We probably ended up covering eight to 10 characters. And then as we saw you know, time progress and storylines either expand or peter out, then we had to make decisions like, okay, this isn't really panning out. Let's put more of our eggs in this basket with this particular character. So I think the constant readjusting to make sure that we were covering covering characters where the story was going to go someplace. Because there are films where the story doesn't go anyplace, but that's really not the film <laughs> that we made, that we wanted to make. <laughs> I prefer to watch a film that goes someplace. That goes someplace, yes. okay. Yeah. <laughs> and you were talking about when you're on the road for film festivals and promoting mm-hmm. the film, that there is a certain entrepreneurial side. There's a business side mm-hmm. to what you have created. Mm-hmm. You are creating something to give back to the community and to the rest of the world. The message that you are helping spread is so valuable. But at the same time, you have to be able to validate creating this film and which will in turn help you create another film in the future. Or just support. I mean, I think what we're really committed to is, um, you know, uh, an economic model where we can continue to support the outreach and engagement. So going to the film festivals and being a documentary, how do you, what is the economic model look like? It's, It's a model that's way different than launching a Transformers movie that's going right. to you know hit a billion dollars in the box office. Right. And and you know we also those movies have investors mm-hmm. and the model that I've worked on for my three films is to partner with a nonprofit whose mission is in line with the themes of the film. You know in the case of the Stagecoach we worked with the uh, Jackson Hole Historical Society. In the case of the Burt film the Chartreux Institute came to us and uh, was a collaborative partner in that and then on this film for for production and post-production, we partnered with Slow Food and the Tetons. And now that we're in distribution, outreach, and engagement, our fiscal nonprofit sponsor is actually out of DC. They're the National Association of Councils on Developmental Disability. So, you know, in terms of film festivals, film festivals are great for visibility. It's good to have laurels. You know, we all need a pat on the back and validation that our film is good. It's also, and this is this has no particular immediate monetary uh, relevance or uh, economic relevance, but you get to see get to see audiences react to your film. And with the Q and A's, you actually can do a little bit of data gathering. Like, you know, how many of you came because of the sustainable local food production angle? Are you foodies, right? Versus did you come because you know you have a personal 
personal connection to disability or you work in the disability sphere? Because we have, I, th- I think, the challenge and opportunity with this film is that it does touch on, I would say, three major areas. And, you know, disability, employment and inclusion, community inclusion, um, sustainable local food production and social entrepreneurship. And those are really different spheres. But we seem to draw audiences who are interested in all of them. They may come initially because they're more interested in the sustainability angle. And this has happened. We've gotten to a number of conservation film festivals. And I'm sure the disability angle isn't that important to them, at least on the surface, but they leave that screening knowing the capabilities of community members, knowing that there are challenges around quality, meaningful, competitively paid work. So, you know, that's a humongous opportunity to educate a population. So now I have to get back to the economic benefits, right? (laughs) The economic model. So again, maybe not so much festivals for visibility, festivals for networking, you know, then I think um, conferences are also, you know, I wouldn't have thought of conferences to screen the film at groups that are really interested, whether they're diversity, inclusion, sort of human resource folks, or um, it's the, you know, Association for Vertical Farming or that kind of thing. Uh, But but th- then you have a lot of people who have similar interests all in one place. And I think what we, what a filmmaker can bring to that kind of conference atmosphere is, you know, there are really only three or four different types of presentations people do, right? And some are really nerdy and wonky and you need them, right? Because they're policy and that's important. But what we have is this very intimate personal story of a community. And so we have something that typically most people don't have, and that's a great way to engage them. And then, you know, you know, it's all about uh, finding your audience, right? And uh, trying to leverage those people, you know, find your champions and um, have them help you as you reach others. So it's a lot of spreadsheets and leads and following up leads. That's the not sexy part of filmmaking. I think that's the not sexy part of any business. Right. Every business needs their champions. Right. I'm still trying to find mine for the podcast. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to help you. Thank I'm, you. I'm going to help you start a spreadsheet. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you release the films, and I'm sure you want them to live on. Mm-hmm. And in today's world of technology with all of the streaming, how does somebody have access to, say, your previous two films and then how will they have access to Hearts of Glass? So the one about the Stagecoach Bar and the one about Burt Reigns, where does somebody go to be able to pay for viewing of that? Do they pay for viewing? Yeah, so we have a couple of different models that have come out of our experiences. Do you like how I'm using R, the royal we? So the Stagecoach had extremely complicated music rights. And in order for us to distribute that, it would have taken years and oodles of money, I think, to to figure out other ways to distribute it. So what we did was we released it on PBS, which has a blanket music license. Um, so, so we didn't really have to worry about that. 
and we also, you know, music music rights are extremely complicated, and I, I won't bore you with it, but you negotiate every right separately. So I'm going to make 500 DVDs, or I'm going to release it on TV. There's no set value for it. It's not like a mechanical license where, you know, I'm a Led Zeppelin cover band, and I'm going to cover 25 Led Zeppelin songs, and this is the cost per song per DVD, uh, CD. So the time and negotiation and that nobody really wants to negotiate with you because you're a documentary filmmaker on a low budget. But I, I did have a great consultant who helped me uh, strategically approach that. But anyway, the, the, the short answer is our only way to release that to the public really was DVDs that we negotiated up front. Um, and I think we made 500 of them or maybe 1,000. And when they're gone, it's gone. And then we licensed it to public television for three years. And um, yeah, you can't really, you're either going to watch a DVD. I don't, it's run out of its license. Uh, uh, it's expired. So DVD. The public television public license. has expired. Right. And how many, where can you buy a DVD? If- so I think... Um, the Historical Society still has some. Uh, Hungry Jack's still has some. Maybe a few other stores around town. Trying to think. Um, Something like Valley Books. I don't not, think not big, not big. Yeah. So, because of the licensing, which you learned the hard way, it's not as though this the film that you made is available for right. um, distribution amongst the general public. Now, could you go back to PBS and work with them to have a re-release of it? Uh, we would... Or is that a one-time shot? I don't know. I mean, I think they would have to decide whether they want to um, put it back in their their lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. It would cost... So, so many people don't really know sometimes that it costs you to get it to public television. Hmm. Okay. Um, then what about the Burt Reigns movie? Where can that one be found? So the Burt Reigns, we, we did learn a little from the stagecoach. We had uh, Ben Winship compose the music for that. So we owned the music. There were no issues with that. And um, that was picked up again for distribution by public television. And they actually just renewed, I think, for another three years. So you can find it on probably various PBS affiliates around the around the states. Uh, we always get random posts on our Facebook page like, just saw it in Atlanta, Georgia, <laughs> you know. And uh, we did do some DVDs. And I think the Jackson Hole Wildlife Foundation, where you can buy them. Um, and it's also available for download and streaming on Vimeo. So we tried a slightly different model. I mean, Vimeo is a very sort of Again, low bar of entry. Um, we haven't, you know, finding your crowd, we probably could do a better job at promoting it on Vimeo, but it is available. So what does it take to get, to go from Vimeo to like a Netflix? It's all pay to play. Is it? Yeah. So, I mean, when you see things that like say HBO documentary, that means HBO came in very early in the production process to be a co-producer on it generally that's my understanding so you know if you want to get your film on iTunes or Amazon there's a basically a slotting fee um, and then it has to be formatted to be all the correct things technically your technical specs to deliver it so, so you have to pay to be in there and then so you have to know the user yeah. pays to watch it. Right. So you have to know that, I mean, you could be on as many as you want, as many platforms, mm-hmm. Hulu, whatever, but I think you need to 
do the math to, to figure out, is this worth it? And that's called, you know, video on demand is really the last phase of distribution. That's consumer distribution. So before that, you know, it usually goes festivals and conferences and then special event screenings where, you know, we hope to, you know, do a screening tour with a discussion, maybe get a corporate sponsor or various sponsors who want their name on a tour that goes to a prestigious university or various universities around or locations um, might be interested in a particular geographic location. But I mean, for me, the most fun is presenting the film and then having a panel discussion post-screening. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, no offense to, to Vertical Harvest, but with everybody from Vertical Harvest, I think the film is a very interesting tool. It's a catalyst for conversations in other communities where other communities can talk about what they're doing in terms of creative thinking around social and environmental problems or the great work that they're doing with employment and community inclusion in the in the disability sphere. Well, it's, it's a different the film is a form of communication and it provides you a way a method to send a message yeah i mean i share a message yeah i i think if people can just i mean my goal is that people are just swept up in the story you know i mean this is close as to being in a high-tech agricultural startup with a social mission as many of us will ever get and i think there's a certain beauty to just kind of being sucked into the story and i you know there are definitely opportunities to learn things along the way but i think if you're if your first goal is education then you're going to have an audience that might be taking a nap <laughs> do you know i mean yeah. a good story mm-hmm. is the way to to engage people in my opinion yeah, yeah. I, I agree yeah. um And so for Hearts of Glass, is that on Vimeo? No, no, no. So we're we're very early in the distribution phase. So we're still we're actually planning touring phase. Some special event screenings. Like we have a a couple of uh, screenings that are being planned um, in uh, Northern California, and we have a Wyoming screening tour. That's um, hopefully fingers crossed that we get our Wyoming Humanities Council major grant for Wyoming in the fall. Uh, We're going to leverage the community college network to screen in different communities. We've got a couple of screenings in Montana. We had advisors on the film um, from the University of Wyoming and also the University of Montana. And uh, those institutions are both university centers of excellence in developmental disabilities. So that was one of the reasons that we connected with them. You did your homework as far as um, organizations to That's me. Yeah. (laughs) It was on the spreadsheet. I can make a list. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so so here's something funny. You know, like people will say, or I will say, you know, I really wasn't in the disability sphere until three years ago when I dove in on this film. And, And I think that that's true in some respect. But then the more... The more I'm into this story and the more I'm into the topics, I feel like we're all connected with disability at some point, either personally, um, through a family member. You know, disability is a club that we can join at any moment, right? If we live long enough, we will probably eventually have a disability. So I think demystifying the us and them, like these are people with disabilities and these are people without, you know, like there's just, a this is the range of humanity and people don't get exposed to it maybe as much as they should. And also the concept that diversity 
also includes disability. You know, we, we've kind of got where we're getting race, gender, sexual pr- preference, identity, all of those things, um, religion, but uh, disability has sort of been a, a trailing the pack there. Thank you for sharing the story of the vertical harvest here in, in Jackson Hole with your film, Hearts of, of Glass, and, and I look forward to, to seeing it. I'm not sure if I will make it to the premiere, which is on June 1st at the Center for the Arts. Absolutely. Here in, in Jackson. Mm-hmm. And, and I love what you said earlier. It's about connecting the community. Mm-hmm. And it's not that we all have to agree or get along, but as long as we understand each other, that's so important. And, and I think that what you are doing through your films, you're going to help drive our community closer to understanding each other more and more. I'm going to have to get that as a testimonial for my website. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, you, you can just rip it right off of the podcast. Okay, yeah. I will, I will. There won't be any... Um, Copyright issues? No, not as, not as tough with the music industry. Right, right. BMI and ASCAP are not coming after okay. taking anything from this podcast. That's good to know. <laughs> Well, thanks for inviting me. Absolutely, Jen. This is spectacular. I know earlier you said that you were going to take a break, but I have a feeling in your mind you have some ideas as far as what you might want to work on next. Do you? I I don't mean to disappoint you, but I I also, you know, I mean, as I said, this is the first film that I've done where I think it has this um, real capacity to raise awareness and promote change. And I would like to dedicate the next couple of years to really shepherding this film out there and having it be a tool for that and uh, and and not really starting another project because I, I just I feel there's a lot a lot to be discovered on this still. Well, I'm not disappointed at all because <laughs> you shepherding the message of Vertical Harvest Jackson Hole is spectacular. And to know that a community our size can do mm-hmm. what Vertical Harvest is doing for the community, then any community can do it. Um, it's, yeah. it's really people committing to this area of the population that wants to be a part of the community and can be a part of the community and the workforce as well. Yeah. And see how passionate and how hardworking they are. Yeah. And um, I think, yeah, you getting behind this and, and spreading the word, I think that is in itself a big mission. Yeah, I think that the strength of this story is really that this um, business was addressing a community need, a community need first for year-round food. Mm-hmm. And then they also found a way to offer, well, incorporate an underemployed population. And um, that's a powerful combination. So I think it's, you know, it's a community impact story. And I think not every community might have the same need, but I hope that it promotes that creative thinking about what is the need? How can we serve that? What kind of creative partnerships can we create to, to fill that? So that's really what I, I mean, don't get me wrong. If another, if it's appropriate, another community wants to and can build a greenhouse, a high-tech greenhouse like this with this employment model, yay. But I also just have more basic goals that could be filled by creative thinking in a lot of different areas. Good for you. Yeah. Right on. So how can people connect with you, Jen? Well, they can. uh, The best way right now is to go to the Hearts of Glass website, which is heartsofglassfilm.com. 
com, and I apologize, but an annoying pop-up will will pop up, and um, if you sign up, uh, we can keep you in the loop about what's going on with the film, and um, my email is there as well. You can contact me directly if you'd be interested in learning more about the film or bringing it to your community, or you have a great idea for, we're going to be going to PBS with this film as well, and so we're um, on the on the lookout for partners to be underwriters for our PBS broadcast. So who you never know who's connected, who has a business, who might want some visibility on national TV and beyond. (laughs) That's right. We don't know who's listening. We don't know. (laughs) And I hope that some of the listeners will connect with you and have an interest to bring this film to their community or organization and help um, spread the word as far as what out-of-the-box creative thinking can do for any community. Yeah. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Stefan. Have a great day. You too. One more episode is complete, and I say farewell until next time. You rock for tuning in each week and sharing this podcast with your friends. Listeners such as yourself, keep me driven to continue searching out new guests to interview. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you would like to be a guest or know of someone connected to Jackson Hole, whom I should interview, send me a note via email, connect at the jacksonholeconnection.com, or you can connect with us via Facebook page, facebook.com slash jacksonholeconnection. Please subscribe, rate, and review the Jackson Hole Connection on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Five stars, of course, because I really like five stars. The Jackson Hole Connection is all about sharing, caring stories of worldly, wildly folks with a desire to share the fun side of life. This is Stefan Abrams, and I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this podcast. Thank you to my wife for her support. Thank you to Michael Morey for editing and directing me. Thank you to Luke Taylor for the rad music. And thank you to Tana Hoffman for spreading the word each week. Y'all come back again now, you hear?